House Flipping HQ Podcast, Episode 9. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ Podcast. Giving you the strategies, techniques, and inside secrets of house flipping from today's top house flipping experts. House Flipping HQ. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Now let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Hey guys, how's it going? Well, I'm super excited to let you know that we were able to get the audio for Danny Johnson's interview where we talk all about marketing and wholesaling houses. So I'm really excited to share that with you. But before we do that, I did want to make a quick mention of something regarding last week's episode. So I was re-listening to where I talk about my own story and how we run our housekeeping business. And at the beginning, I just cringed when I heard myself say I was never really given anything. And That's totally not the way that I meant for that to come across. The reality is, is that what my parents have given me is, I mean, you just can't measure that kind of return in dollars or any other way. I mean, anything I've accomplished in my life in any way is only because of things that they provided me with and the opportunities and the support that they've given me throughout my life. And, you know, they may not be rich, but if I could ever come close to achieving the things which they've done in their life and the people they've helped and difference they've made in this world, I'll consider myself a huge success. So just wanted to make sure that I clarify that and thank them publicly for everything they've done and continue to do for me and my family and all those around them. All righty. Well, without any further ado, let's get on to our interview for today with house flipping junkie Danny Johnson. Hey, hey, house flipping nation. Welcome to another episode of the House Flipping HQ podcast. I hope you're all having a fantastic week, getting out there, taking action, making offers, making things happen, creating the life of your dreams. Wanted to give a quick shout out to Miss Christy Rizzo and the Lakeside Middle School in Paris. Uh, Miss Rizzo was my eighth grade English teacher, and yesterday she invited me for the second year to go out to career day at Lakeside Middle School. And I was able to speak to the seventh and eighth graders about how I run my business and just kind of really help motivate them and pump them up. Um, it was really great. There's a lot of other professionals there helping those guys out. It's through the YEMP program. That's Y-E-M-P. Check it out. Um, get involved. It's a great way to give back to your community. Now, <laughs> you know, sometimes I think it's kind of hard to teach you guys how to flip houses. Try teaching how to flip houses to seventh and eighth graders. <laughs> it was something else, but they got a lot out of it. They were great and uh, it, it was a really good time. So on to our guest for today's show. I know a lot of you have been contacting me and you want to learn more about wholesaling. As you know, it's a great way to get started in this business with very little money and very little risk. Today, we have a special treat for you. We have an expert wholesaler. We have someone who uh, lives in San Antonio, Texas, who has flipped hundreds of houses, been flipping for 10 years, 
and does a lot of wholesale transactions. And we're just gonna give you basically a little mini course on wholesaling. So after today, you'll be able to get out there, take some action, get going on wholesaling. Great way to get into this business. So without any further ado, I give to you the flipping junkie, Danny Johnson. How's it going, hey, Danny? <laughs> oh, pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Really excited to have you on today. Uh, excited to get this wholesaling party started. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate you having me. You know, you were talking about you know, how difficult it would be to teach the seventh and eighth graders how to flip. And you know, honestly, I think it might be a little bit easier, actually, because they're so fearless. You know, they don't think about all those risks and they just jump out there and start taking action and doing stuff. But, um, you know, if we could all, (laughs) yeah, I think all of us have like our, you know, dealing with risk is is pretty tough for most of us as we get older. But uh, so how would you, where do you want to start? Well, let's go ahead. You know, I, I like to dive right into the content, but let's hear a little more about you, a little bit about your background and your story how you became the flipping junkie and uh, kind of where you're at today. And then we'll dive right into uh, to all the good stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was at, you know, how I became flipping junkie. You know, I was at, at one of the rehabs and, and there was this spider that fell on me and bit me. And no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> no, we, I, I was a, a software developer for a long time. I went to college, got a degree in computer science and was a software developer and sitting at the office you know, day after day, you know, working for a defense contractor in a room with no natural light. And, you know, it was really getting to me. I, I did not like being at an office all the time and, and doing the same sort of work over and over again. There was no challenge, you know, you know, wasn't much chance for improvement or, you know, I just, it wasn't very exciting. And, uh, you know, while I was doing that, you know, my father started flipping houses and, you know, I got to see all the excitement he was having in his life and having the fun and, and doing all those things, buying houses and, and just telling me about all, all what he was doing. And so I decided to give it a shot, you know, and started doing that uh, part time while I was still at the job. And, you know, we started, my wife and I started buying houses and flipping houses while we were working full time. Both of us work full time and we also started in the business. So we had a lot of uh, challenges in the beginning with time, you know, like most people do when they're trying to transition to something new. And most people don't have the luxury of being able to just go into something full time like that with, you know, so we, we know what it's like and we, you know, spent all the time in the afternoons and on the weekends and got the family involved so that we could do this instead of saying, you know, I don't have time because I've got to take care of my kids and I don't have time because this or that. It's like, you know, if you really want to do something bad enough, you're going to make time to do it. You're going to find a way to do it. Love it for sure. You know, so many people, because I've, I've tried to help coach people from time to time. And one thing that I've noticed a lot of people that I don't think will make it in the business are the people that come to me and I ask them, did you do this or that this week? What did you do this week? Mm-hmm. And, and they come back and say, well, I didn't have time to, yep. because it's this or that came up. And I say, well, did you watch TV at all this week? And of course, yeah, I watched some yeah. shows. You know, it's like, well, you know, those are hours wasted right there. You know, it's like, what do you want to get that? you know, you want to relax for a little bit or do you want to build your fortune? You want to build your future. And so if you're not excited enough to trade off watching TV, you know, I think you're going to have a little bit of a challenge getting into the business and really doing what's necessary to overcome the hurdles in the beginning to yeah. actually make F- it. Find how to make it happen, How not how to not make it happen. <laughs> it just seems like a lot of people will do that. So. Right. And I, and I think it all stems basically from not having a good enough reason why. Like they're not, if you're not sick enough of where you are and what you're doing and what your life is looking like, then you're not, you know, you don't have a big enough reason to get out of your comfort zone so much and take the risks 
and get into flipping houses. For sure. You know, it's like some, I, I think there was a book, I'm not even sure which book it was, but it talked about in any kind of endeavor that anybody gets into that's sort of outside of their comfort zone or something new, there, there's like a, a hill. It's like some small hills and you get over some hurdles and then you have this big hill. And that's when most people quit. And on the other side of that big hill is a big, you know, drop where, where momentum builds and it becomes easier. So the difficulty mm-hmm. is the big hill. And most people right before the big drop where all the momentum and all the success starts to happen, you know, they kind of quit right before, but they don't realize that they're at the top of that hill, you know, or they're almost there at the top of the hill. And it's Absolutely. sort of like my last blog post. I loved it. <laughs> you know, we're talking about where people, it's a very, very common thing where people spend a lot of time and energy and even money getting into the business. And it's like they f- tend to, and I even felt like this, you know, you tend to feel like you're throwing the money away. Mm-hmm. Like you're spending the money and you're not getting return right away and you're starting to wonder, should I keep throwing money at this? You know, I don't have much money to begin with. Should I keep doing it? And that's when I think a lot of people, they get cold feet and, you know, don't realize that it's an investment, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when you're doing marketing, you're doing motivated seller marketing, marketing to private sellers. And I loved your blog post a while back about that where you had, you know, really in depth about a lot of different ways to try to market to private sellers to buy their houses. And that's the way I, I do it. I really find... You can get the best deals that way with the least competition. But when you're spending money on that marketing to find those people, you know, you have to understand that that it builds over time. And what you do now affects what happens to you like three months down the line, not next week, not tomorrow. And so you might not be getting the returns right away. You might not put that ad in the paper and get the calls the next day or that week. You know, you'll tend to build all of that. And so three weeks from now, what's happening to you as a result of what you did you know, three weeks, three months ago. Absolutely. And then you just keep going and don't give up and it'll start building and then you'll start to get that momentum and that faith will be easier to, to have that it's going to happen for you. Huge, huge snowball effect, right? Right. And and it's easy to talk about, but when you're living it and you're just struggling with, oh man, I don't know, I've already spent a thousand dollars and I haven't really gotten that many calls. You know, that's when it's really hard to believe that. But I think the people that do and get through, because really all it takes is one phone call. With one great deal, you know, to put even on a wholesale to put $10,000 in your pocket and how much marketing can you do with that? Absolutely. I mean, but, uh, you know, so don't give up. And, and I guess also, you know, in that same vein with what's important in getting started with spending your time on the 20% of the things that produce 80% of the results is the 80-20 rule. And so, you know, when you're looking at what kind of marketing to do, or you're looking at what, you know, you should be spending your time on, especially if you're part-time, you know, you, or, you know, you're part-time and getting into the business. So you're working full-time and you've got children and you've got everything else, uh, responsibilities that you have that take up a lot of your time. So you don't have a lot of time. You need to focus on the 20% of things that produce 80% of the results. And it's always like that. We tend to try to stay in our comfort zone and do things that aren't uncomfortable. So like I always use the example, whenever I was getting started, my wife would laugh at me because I would spend a week designing a business card. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was because it was comfortable. You know, I didn't, yep. I wasn't out of my comfort zone designing that. I was just having, you know, well, this is going to you know, get us all kinds of deals and stuff. But, you know, and then I would, I would order them. I'd have that huge box of them on my desk and they would sit there collecting dust. <laughs> Dan, you know, yeah, I have so many people asking me, Hey, what books should I read? How should I design my business card? How should I do this and that? And I'm like, what does that have to do with buying a house? 
Get right? out there yeah. and go buy a house. <laughs> yeah, put that stuff aside, step away from the computer, and get out there and, and go look at houses. You know, you don't have to go and make a commitment to buy one even, but get out there, talk to people, look at houses, run, drive through run-down neighborhoods, not war zones, but, you know, run-down working-class neighborhoods and things like that, and start getting a feel for everything and talking to other investors, you know. When you're driving some of the neighborhoods, you know, I'm sure you mentioned before driving for dollars, maybe, where you're finding vacant rundown houses and you write down the address, try to find the owner. Well, you can drive around looking for those. And then if one of them is being fixed up, you know, they've got a roll off dumpster up front, stop, get out, go knock on the door and, and talk to the, the crew that's working on the house. And maybe even the owner could be there. It could be a, a house flipper and just talk to them, you know, and say, hey, what are you doing? You know, do you mind me asking what you bought the house for? And, you know, just start becoming an investor even if you're not buying houses yet you are becoming an investor and you need to you know take on that role and, and become that absolutely i love how you talked about doing things that make you feel uncomfortable just a few days ago i was telling my wife i was like you know i think the amount of money i make is directly correlated to how uncomfortable i feel <laughs> or oh, those, yeah absolutely or you know the situations that i put myself in and then over time those become more comfortable and then you can really take it to the next level like it was not comfortable for me to put myself out there on this podcast. You know, I mean, things like that. Like, I just keep trying to push it to the next level. Uh, it's like, hey, I feel too comfortable. Feeling comfortable for me has almost become uncomfortable to this point. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I think most really successful people, That's I think they look at that the same way. And, you know, I think you know, the tendency also maybe for people that see other successful investors tend to think that they were always confident and, and just were able to go out there and make the offers and just have things happen. You know, but I think almost everybody was terrified, you know, in that first deal. And if they're not, they probably aren't very smart, you know. Yep. Uh, you know, there's a lot of risk, but, you know, you, you minimize the risk by getting a good deal. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that today. But, you know, the first contract I had to sign, my hand was shaking uncontrollably. I could almost not even sign my name on the contract. Uh -huh. You know, now it's like I don't even know that I, you know, it's just a, a, it takes me a second to go through everything. And then I feel like I, I need to sit there and talk to the seller even longer because it's such a big deal for them. But for me, it's just another, yep. another one, you know, it's like next, next, yep. next. Yep. But, you know, when you were talking about doing, you know, the right things and the things uh, that are outside your comfort zone, and, and that gets into something I always like to share with people and think about myself a lot is if you're working in the right forest. And that's like this analogy where you know, this, these guys are working in this forest, cutting down trees and stuff. And they're just like, they're really working hard, cutting down all these trees, you know, working from daybreak to sunset and, and everything and, and just working their butts off. Like, yeah, we're really kicking butt, you know, and you know, you've got to be the guy that stops for a second and climbs up the tallest tree and looks around and says, Hey, wait a minute, we're in the wrong forest, you know, and you're oh, chugging yeah. away and you're really, I'm working my butt off, you know, and I'm really going to make this happen. And you find out that you were doing all the wrong things. Uh-huh. You know, so if you can plan it out and really kind of have a better idea of where you should be going and what you should be spending your time on. And, and I don't want to just leave it as that analogy where you're saying, well, what are those things? You know, I've heard that and I understand that. But what exactly, you know, are you talking about? Give me some concrete things that I can do. And, and with respect to that, you know, obviously you can't be a successful investor unless you're a successful marketer. Absolutely. So focus on marketing, focus on finding deals. And if you try to think about the one thing, because I've done this over the years where I've stopped and said, okay, how can I improve what we're doing? And I think every single time, you know, I tried to find out what was the most important thing that I'm doing every day or every week. What is that one thing? Can I boil this all down to one thing that I'm trying to do? That's the very most important thing. 
And that most important thing has always been making offers. Absolutely. You know, if I'm not making offers, I'm not getting deals. It's as simple as that. And everything I do from day to day, other than once I already have a house and I'm, you know, working on fixing it and selling it, is trying to get houses. And I can't get a house unless I'm making an offer. So all my marketing is building up to getting to me to where I could be at a place where I can make an offer. Absolutely. And so if you focus on what is going to get me to the place where I can make offers quickest and and most frequently, you know, is going to be what's going to improve your chances of getting deals. And so if you're working on designing that business card, you've got to stop and think, okay, wait a minute, you know, I'm designing this business card, but this, you know, you could take a piece of paper and write, we buy houses on it and go give it to somebody. It's going to get you closer to making an offer than designing this fancy business card, these fancy colors and stuff that some that you're probably never going to give out. And if you do, you know, it's going to be just for a little while and, and you're just going to quit. I love it, Danny. But, so always, every single thing you do in this business, always be saying, how is this going to help me buy a house? Right. And, you know, there was a while where I didn't even have a website just because I didn't need it for what I was doing to buy houses. Now, if that was based on the way I was, I was buying a lot of trustee sales and on lo- stuff on MLS. So I didn't need a website and people thought that was weird. I have a website, but I'm like, I don't need one. <laughs> so, you know, now that has changed, but it just all depends on what your goals are and how is that helping yeah. you buy a house? Right. And if, if you're not doing marketing and you're, you're buying, you know, at trustee sales or, or, you know, whatever you're doing, you know, getting to where you're making that offer or bidding on that property You know, so if you're not prepared to be able to bid on that property, you have to do the shortest path of steps to get to where you can make an offer on that property. Absolutely. So if it's like, well, I don't have the money. Well, you need to spend all of your time finding the money. Yeah. Good point. You know, there's no point in doing anything else until you've done that. So if you find, you know, when we talk about wholesale, because a lot of people are hung up on, well, I don't have enough money to flip a house. And so, you know, they don't know what to do. But if you do wholesaling, you don't have to necessarily worry about you know, having the money and you can start focusing on, on getting to where you're making offers Love and it. things. But so you, you and your wife both had jobs. Um, you guys, you figured out how to make it happen. I mean, I call it getting, get your foot in the door, figure out how to fail forward fast, get something rolling, and then you can learn what you don't know and continue to implement those things. But you guys, no excuses. You guys both had jobs and you made it happen. So that's incredibly inspirational, I think, to a lot of people mm-hmm. out there. So Right. And we now have five kids. So, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. you, know, it, wow. you know, we are super busy, but we make it happen and we're able to do other things that we love as well now. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and with what you were saying there, you know, it's like getting to, cause you know, if you, you stop and say, well, it's so overwhelming. There's so many things to learn, you know, or even if you're already experienced and you want to transition to something else and you're thinking, well, I mean, there's so much to learn. I don't know where to start. You know, it's like what you said, you start with one, you find out what you want Mm -hmm. and where you want to be, but you don't need to plan out every single step to get to there because it's going to change and you don't know, you cannot predict every place. All you need to do is figure out that first step. What's the first thing? Is it going to be putting an ad in the paper? Yeah. You know, and if you don't know how you're going to handle the call, I'm sorry, but you really don't know, need to know exactly how to handle the call. I mean, love it, love it. You're going to get, you know, you won't necessarily know what you need to know until you do try to handle the call. And my first phone call, I didn't know how to handle it. And I threw the phone to my wife whenever the phone (laughs) was the same way (laughs) was ringing. So she actually took our first motivated seller phone call. You you know, know, I remember the first seminar I went to, you know, just learned a ton of stuff. I mean, it, it was from not a very good guru, but that's a whole nother part of my story. But I came back and I made my wife, we were overwhelmed and we just wrote a huge list of everything that had to happen. 
And then I took that list and I put it in order and I said, okay, it's at least feels good to know kind of what might happen next. <laughs> but I said, all I need to do right now is get some deals. Yeah. And you know what? All I need to do if I'm doing letters, get those letters in the mail. And once those letters were in the mail, I said, okay, now I need to figure out, I have like a day or two until they get there. <laughs> That's the time I have to figure out what to do when they call. And then once right. they called, I just wrote down information and then said, okay, I'll call you back. And then I had time to think about what to do after that. So. Yeah, right. And if they ask you a question, you know how to answer, you can just say, okay, well, let me, you know, find out the answer to that and call you back. There's exactly. no shame in that. Exactly. And people aren't going to expect somebody that's real high powered and super knowledgeable when they call. I mean, they just don't, you know, so you don't need to be some kind of mortgage expert or anything like that. You know, you just talk to them and find out as much as you can about their situation and what they want to do. I love it. And then, yeah, you, you hang up and like you said, call them back and figure out what you're going to do. So Danny, I know in our we chatted a couple minutes before the interview and you mentioned that the website already has, you know, you feel a ton of uh, ways that people can market and find deals. But I, I am kind of curious, even if it is kind of rehashing some of that, I'm curious, what are you doing today to get deals? I always like to hear what people are doing. What are some of the things you're, the marketing techniques you're using right now that are working? Okay, for me and what we do, for me, my time has become my most valuable thing. Okay. You know, it's my most valuable asset. I mean, your time is just more important to me than anything else. And so I've I've really kind of eliminated a lot of the marketing that I was doing. And a lot of it was on the blog and still on the blog as far as everything that I had done. And it, it really helped a lot through the years to build up. But I've gotten my website to the point now where it, it really generates my leads for me. Awesome. And I don't have to do a lot, you know, to get those leads. Wow. And, you know, so my, my website mainly is really, for the, I've got a couple things you know, I had yellow pages, but I've just recently took my ad out of that because the website has done enough for me to do what I want to do. But as far as, uh, and that's, you know, a matter of having search engine optimization on your website, getting traffic there, because you can have a house buying website, but if you're not doing anything to generate traffic, it's worthless. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that website could also be put on, you know, other marketing as far as postcards and letters and stuff like that. And, and the yellow page ads and things like that. Now, what I do caution people about is putting a web address on a bandit sign. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. I've heard other people say that put it on there, put several different ways for people to contact you. But I just feel like people, if they're driving by and seeing a bandit sign and it says, you know, we buy houses, your city.com, you know, that they're typically going to think I can remember that. And then what they do is they get home and I don't think they probably type in we buy houses, your city.com. They type in we buy houses, yeah. your city in the search box. And then all of a nice. sudden they see all your competition and they're not really looking for you anymore Yep, yep. because they don't know who you were anyway. And so having a phone number and having them call you right away and not even a vanity number, you want just a regular phone number. So they see it and they either write it down or I've had people, I get where my phone rings, you know, when I was doing bandit signs where I had the phone ring, you know, for a second and then it would stop ringing. I would call them back and they say, well, I was just getting it in my phone so I could call you later. Nice. <laughs> you know, and so they had my number, they called me and they weren't going to go and get online and start getting into Facebook and their email and stuff. Yeah. We're looking at all the competition. They were calling and talking to just me. So that's great. So when you talk about, so you used to do all kinds of marketing, but it's gotten to the point where you don't have to do all those. And that, that's kind of how I was when I started. I started with a couple things and then branched out to more and did more and more and more. And then I kind of scaled back based on what was working best. Um, so when you talk about your website that you're currently using, you're not talking about your flipping junkie.com website. That's more of your educational website, correct? You right. Have, you have a different right. My website. website is right. I've got a website, Danny buys houses, and that's my lead generation website. Okay. 
So what do you do to get traffic to that site? You're not, it's not through mailers. It's not through postcards. It's through SEO mainly. Well, that and, and also through AdWords, pay-per-click advertising. Okay. And so, you know, when you first get the site up, you can set up in, in Google to have AdWords to where when people type in, you know, sell my house fast, you know, you can have your ad pop up on the first page. So you're paying for that if they click on it. Okay. And so you don't pay for it, you know, for displaying just if they click on it. So it's an awesome way to get people to see your site right away and get traffic right away. Okay. So you're doing, and, and you know, Tucker mentioned this as well. So you're doing a little bit of uh, search engine optimization uh, as well as some paperclip type stuff. As far as a search engine optimization, how are you getting that organic traffic? Is it through videos or blog posts or what's your Well, yeah, there? I mean, it's a mixture of all of that and, and it's really top secret. Okay. But uh, no, no it's, it's not actually. I mean, that kind of stuff is really, you know, people always want to know what's my secret, but what they really wanted from me when they ask that is, you know, can you do it for me? You yeah, know, it's like, totally. you know, it's all known stuff. You yeah. know, it's really, there's books in you, there's books and that's what I recommend for people. And they think that I'm just trying to like direct them some other way or something like I've got some kind of secret that they don't know. Totally. And I'm not sharing it. But honestly, there's books, there's thousands of books on search engine optimization. Uh -huh. And what you want to do is just go look for the ones with the best ratings on Amazon and look for the newest ones because things change so fast. Okay, great. And, and so, any you know, specific one you can think of right now that you'd recommend anyone? I think there, there was one, uh, SEO Made Simple is one that I like. Okay. And then as far, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the only one that comes to mind right now. But, but most of them are typically share the same sort of information and basically it's work. Okay. You know, it's just like everything else. It's work. You've got to get out there and you've got to do some things and, uh, you know, get links back to your site. But that's not something that you've got to do always. You know, yeah. you, you build it up and then you kind of maintain a little bit or hire someone else too. But, um, okay, great. That's so you, do it. you get a lead, whether it's through your site or however you get it. And what do you do from there? When I get a lead from the site, is, is first thing I'll do is look at it and see whether it has any potential on the face of it. You know, if they're, they're saying, because the website asks them certain questions and it asks, you know, at asking price, how much is owed, uh, why they want to sell. And so if, if it looks like, you know, like a, a 3 2 that's worth 100000 and they're asking 100000 and they owe 95000 I'm not going to jump and stop what I'm doing and call them back and try to figure things out because it's not very likely that I can do anything with that lead anyway. But okay. I will respond to them. I will analyze it eventually that day and get back to them and tell them whether, you know, I probably can't. So I'll just end up telling them, I'm sorry, I can't help you out. I've got to buy it below market value and you just owe it too much. Okay. And there's some people that work short sales where that, you know, a situation like that where they'll try to get the bank to take less than what's owed. But I don't do that anymore. My time's more valuable than, than trying to work those leads. I'd rather just get more leads and get the easier deals. The whole 2080 thing you're talking about. You feel right. like it's better then, to then focus to on that. Right, try to turn okay. a non-deal into a deal and spin yeah. my wheels. Okay. Because somebody, you know, I do get a lot of times where people will, will ask me from my blog to help them analyze a deal. And I, I had even just recently while I was having dinner with my family, and even anymore, I don't typically do this, but in the beginning I would where I get a phone call and I'd pick it up even at dinner time because yeah. I didn't know if that was the next super hot deal. For sure. Yep. And I don't do it anymore because I don't need to. But yeah. before, you know, even for the first six, seven years, I would no matter what I was doing, yep. I would answer that phone. And I, I still think I probably should. And that's just being a little bit maybe lazy on my part. But, uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know, I picked up the phone anyway and it was a it was a guy wanting me to analyze the deal for him. And I said, look, I'm having dinner. You know, send me an email and that way I can look at it and then 
you know, get back to you. And so after dinner, you know, I check my email and sure enough, it's there. And it's like the furthest thing possible from any kind of deal whatsoever. Uh-huh. You know, it's like what's owed is even more than what the house is possibly worth. And it's like someone's calling me at dinner time that doesn't even know me and is asking me to find a way to make this a deal. And it just wasn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like there was nothing in that email that suggested any possibility of any type of deal. And I know a lot of, and I'm not saying that that person was dumb or anything like no. that. All I'm saying is that it's, it's you're looking at things the wrong way. It's like Sometimes people think, and I got an email similar to this recently, actually, that you have this like secret magic wand or magic potion and a way to make something out of nothing. I had someone who asked me, they're like, hey, can you uh, help me out? I bought this house a while ago. And basically they were upside down. And right. wanted to know my secret sauce to have them get out of this situation. I'm like, well, you can either short sell it or, you know, <laughs> or, or suck right, it up. Yeah, I, don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know what to I, tell I think, you. Yeah. You know, so because I think a lot of people come into this thinking that if somebody is motivated to sell or if the house is a bank owned foreclosure, that it's a deal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the situation is. I don't care if the people, the house is in spotless shape and they're the furthest thing from motivated but they're willing to sell the house, you know, at full price, it's definitely not a deal. But those people could also be, I mean, the only, I guess that wasn't a good way to go about this. The, the best, the only thing that I look at regarding a deal is not even the structure of it, whether I can get it with owner financing or subject to or any other creative strategy. I don't care about any of those. All I care about is if this deal is enough below market value that it makes sense no matter what. Yep. And it gets rid of all my risk. Okay. Love it. So, so so you try to, you have a lead funnel, regardless of whether it's internet or letters or whatever, bandit signs, you're trying to get as many deals into the funnel as you can. And your goal is to focus the majority of your time and effort on the ones that look like they have the most potential, correct? Right. And the ones that have the most potential, and, and most people won't ask for an awesome price from the get-go. They won't say, well, first of all, most a lot of people that contact me don't really know the exact value of what their house is worth. They know what the county has it assessed at, you know, the value for the tax taxes, but they'll put in an asking price. And, and most people won't put in a great asking price. I mean, they just, they won't because they're obviously hoping to get something, you know, as good as they can, but they're willing to take a lot less. So I really kind of only focus on what they tell me is owed. Okay. And when people get phone calls from motivated sellers, when they're new, they think that that's a hard thing to ask people, what do you owe? Because it's like, why would they tell me what they owe? You know, okay. what does that have to do with what they're trying to get for the house? And I very, very rarely have anybody complain about me asking them what is owed. I mean, just a handful of times over 10 years, I think somebody said, well, you know, what do you need to know that for? Yeah, and most like people that. would just tell you. So you focus on what is owed. So you get the lead. And it's one of the things that you're asking them, whether it's through your website or on the phone, is you're not asking, what are the what are some of the things that you do ask them? First off. Okay. Well, I ask the details of the house, the address, the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, uh, why, or, uh, you know, what kind of repairs or updating it might need. And then I get into why they want to sell the house. And then after I have, I ask them why they want to sell the house. That way it's back fresh in their mind and the feelings of what they're going through with the place or, or back in their mind. And then I ask them, what are you asking? What are you hoping to get for it? Uh, what do you owe? Okay. And then, you know, from there I can quickly say, okay, well, they real because, you know, the mo- the truly, truly motivated sellers will be like, I need to get rid of this thing yesterday. I hate this place. This is stressing me out. I even had a seller before tell me that, you know, she was becoming suicidal. And, I, you know, I was saying, yeah. well, don't, don't, you know, don't tell me that, you know, I, yeah. but, you know, there's truly super, super motivated. And that's not all we buy from. A lot of people won't 
be like that, but sometimes you will. And it's like, wow, you know, this is where a really good deal is going to come from. But, um, and then some people aren't really necessarily like that on the phone. They just say, I need to get rid of it. I inherited it. And they are, they know that they're not getting full market value. I think there's a, a misconception, like people thinking that people that market to motivated sellers are maybe taking advantage of them. They're buying it so cheap when they could probably sell. But the truth is a lot of these places need so much work. They can't sell it to anybody but an investor. Exactly. And I try to explain that to people as well. It's not people like, how do I find those guys who either number one, like you said, they think they're taking advantage of them. Or you have the other group who wants to find those people. And I say, you know, it's not really like that. It's like they can't sell it. They need to sell it for cash. They need to sell it quick. It needs a lot of work usually. They can't just go sell it on a retail market to a financed buyer. They have to sell it at a discount and you're their best source. And if you get in there without a realtor commission and they'll usually probably do just as well. So Right. Yeah. And and I've had so many people, you know, and there's been so many people that I've talked to realtors before they've sold to us. And so they knew kind of what they could possibly list it at, you know, not necessarily sell and get that much for it, but they had an idea and they were still super happy with selling it, you know, for what would be considered by most people pretty cheap because their problem was solved. They got cash right away and they're busy with their lives and they didn't want to deal with it. Yeah, And you mentioned that your time is your most valuable asset. So all the time, there are things that I might give up a little bit of money because I know it's going to take me a lot of time and I don't want to deal with that. So that's it's right. kind of a similar concept. Or the house has issues where, you know, a lot of certain issues aren't big deals, but they tend to scare people, you know, if like the house has foundation issues. Yeah. You know, it's like the homeowner is like freaking out. You know, this house is going to, you know, fall apart and crumble to the ground, you know. Yeah. Or they may get, you know, someone who's going to fix their foundation and charge them twice as much as your right. contractor who you have a relationship with who gives you and you know what it would cost. So, okay. So let's, uh, let's keep going here. So you got the lead comes in. Um, what is your, you, you call them back and you know, you try to negotiate a deal. Do you make an offer over the phone? Do you send the offer in the mail? How do you go about making that okay, offer? No, that's, that's a great question. The first thing is the first initial contact I have with them. If whenever I ask why they're selling and how much they owe on it. And if those things, things mostly, you know, 75% of the weight is, is on what they want. If I know basically a rough idea of what the house is worth from a quick look at the county assessors, you know, the appraisal district's website for the value for the tax taxes and what they tell me is owed is less than what I would typically need to buy it for because, you know, we're buying at 65 or 70% of the resale value minus cost of repairs. And so for an example, if, if the county has the place valued at $100,000 and they're telling me they owe 30000 well, guess what? You know, there's plenty of room in there. Even if they're asking seventy or 80000 there's plenty of room for them to be able to negotiate down. So there's possibility there. So while I'm on that first contact with them, first call with them, I'll try to schedule a time right away so that okay. they're not calling other people. They feel like they've accomplished what they set out to do is get gotcha. someone out. So you schedule it. When you say schedule a time, you mean to go to their house and, uh, right, and make them an it. offer. So you're not sending them anything in the mail. You're not making an offer over the phone. You're going directly to their house. They're in your farm area and you're going to talk to them face to face. Right. And then that gets into like, you know, like some people might think, well, you're able to analyze that while you're talking to them on the phone. Not necessarily. Uh, it's a real quick thing. And if after I get off the phone with them, I'll do my analysis. And if it turns out that actually what they owed, like if they had told me maybe 60 thousand and then I, I think that maybe might be worth a hundred and then so I set up an appointment and then I go and do research and everything nothing's selling for more than seventy. You know, what I'll do is call back and apologize and say I'm sorry I need to cancel the appointment. I've done some research on it and unfortunately there's not enough room. 
And so I'll then just quickly cancel that appointment okay. if, and that, that, if makes, that ends up happening. That makes a lot of sense because if you didn't make that appointment and you try to call back and reschedule it and, and then make the appointment, that's just one other phone call you're going to have to make. One more chance of them getting cold feet, maybe called someone else. So you right. get that appointment if it looks like there's even a possibility. But then once right. again, because your time is valuable, you'll go online, then you'll really analyze it into more detail, make sure it looks like there's potential. And then you've already made the appointment. So you don't have to call back and confirm or anything. You just right, call back said. and, okay, I, I like that. That's really and, good. And very rarely do I have to call and cancel, but it does happen. But I mean, so you're not always calling, setting up appointments and the canceling, but I mean, it, sure. it does happen. But, and then so once we, once that appointment comes and I'm there at the house, I've already done all my research. I've had the time, you know, if, if I set it for the next day or they weren't able to show it for two days or something. I've got a little bit of time. I mean, obviously, you want to try to set that appointment up for even later that day if you can do it. Okay. But, uh, you know, as soon as possible. But, you know, so you have a little bit of time to really do the research. And then so that once you're over at the house and you're looking at it and you're talking to them and you take the time to really listen to them and build rapport. And then at the end of it, you can make them an offer on the spot. You know, so you'll be there at the house and you'll be able to look at what repairs the place needs. And obviously, if you're new, you probably won't be able to determine that right away unless you bring a contractor. You know, you might have to say, oh, I'll get back to you. And you have notes of all the things and pictures or even video of everything the house needs. And you can find out what the repairs are going to cost and then call back for another appointment. And I suggest going and, and making offers in person. Okay. You know, it's just, it's harder for somebody to say no right away and blow you off if you're right in front of them. Yeah, okay. Uh, they'll, they'll give more time to it. And I've had a lot of people where I've made the offers over the phone, call me back a couple of days later, even a week later. But I felt like if I was maybe there, you know, maybe they would have accepted it, you know. For sure. Right then. A little more personal. I mean, you get to know the person, see they're a human being and build a little bit of trust there, so... Right. And then, you know, so if you've got your maximum, you know, you know, obviously you don't want to offer your maximum. You want to offer a little bit less so that you can negotiate. People want to negotiate. Most people do. And if they if you don't negotiate, I think sometimes then it's, yeah. uh, they, you know, they don't feel like they got some a better deal out of it. Or, For sure. Know. I mean, they feel good if you started at 50 and you end up at 60. They feel like, hey, you know, I yeah. I did good here. <laughs> and, and you never know, you know, you could get it at 50, yeah, you know, so it's, yeah. you know, that's, you, you won't get it unless you ask for it and you can't necessarily, you can't go lower on your offers. Yeah. You can't say, I'll give you 60 and the next week tell me, you know, I'll give you 50. Yeah, so you'd rather start well, I mean, you can, but they won't appreciate it. So you show, you show up to the house, um, you take it, obviously you walk in, you hey, can I, you already know your numbers before you show up as far as what the after repair value is. Then you show up, you take a look, you probably have an idea of what repairs might be, but then you adjust, I assume, according to what the house actually looks like, add or take away. Right. I'll, I'll walk through the whole thing and then I'll actually tell them I'm going to sit in my mobile office, which is my car. I'll just sit out there for five or 10 minutes and I'll go through the major items. I don't sit there and measure baseboards. Okay. Yeah. You know, things like that. You know, you basically you walk through and you do because you're never going to get an exact estimate on repair. No, you're just not no. going to do it. There's no sense in to. trying to figure that out. So you, you look, I look at all the main things. I look at paint for the inside, paint for the outside, siding, sheetrock, flooring, light fixtures, you know, all lighting. Um, and as just a general idea, not per light fixture or anything like that. Yep. And, you know, cabinets replaced, uh, the bathrooms, do I need to put in new tile around the tubs? Do I need to put new vanities, new toilets? Just all of the bigger things. And I've even gotten to the point where I've, I'm, I'm just saying bathroom one, bathroom two, kitchen, paint, flooring, roof. And you have a pretty good idea of what those things cost. 
because you've right. done it so and, many times. Right. And, but yeah. And, and so at the beginning, you could have a list of all the general, general items like cost to replace the toilet, cost for new vanity, and you can just add things up, uh-huh. you know, bit by bit. But you don't ever want to go and try to measure square footage of the living room carpet. No. You know, you just have a whole general idea of the whole house is maybe 1,500 square feet, and you can get flooring put in for a little over a dollar a foot. Yep. And so you can say, well, $2,000 for the flooring. Perfect. Yep. And at the end, you have your fudge factor. You know, some anything I missed, doorknobs, uh, smoke detectors, you know, a window that's broken, add in another two grand. Yep. You know, it'll cover anything that you might have missed or whatever. If it's a bigger rehab, like a burned property, you know, you're going to have a bigger, you might want to add 10 to 20,000 yeah, in, in exactly. like a fudge factor kind of thing. Okay. Perfect. And then so then I'll, you know, that only take me about five minutes and I'll go back up to the door, go inside and then I can make my offer. Do you have a like a contract in hand that you like wrote out in your mobile office there or how do you go about that? I don't, but that is a good way to do it. That way they can already kind of see that the offer is there and it's ready to be signed. But I, I do write it on a piece of paper, you know, something about having it written for some reason or even on the back of your business card is a good thing to do. Yeah. And then that way they can be looking at it all the time. If you just make it verbally, it kind of disappears once they maybe say, I'll think about it. And there's nothing to kind of remind, remind them to think more about it. If they've got a card, they can sit there in the evening when they're feeling more of the, you know, needing to get rid of this uh-huh. house kind of thing, or what am I going to do? They've got that to sit there and look at. Okay. And, so you're not necessarily sitting there and going through line item contract and trying to lock it up oh, at no. that moment. You're more making well, them I an do, offer. I do, try, I do try to get them to accept my offer while I'm okay. there, but I don't push them at all. I just say, this is what I can offer. Okay. Okay. And if they say yes, we get a contract right there on the spot. And you have that with you, of course. Yes. What? And then just I'll fill it out right then while I'm going through quick it. Quick and them. dirty. What does that contract look like? Just to give folks a, an idea. I know a lot of times people get caught up in the paperwork and it's very simple and you can have any kind of real estate attorney draw you up a one page simple contract for your locality, but it, it's really just, you know, seller name, buyer name, property address, purchase price, how much is earnest money, when it's going to close by, where it's going to close, who the closer is, uh, who's paying title policy, and then any, any kind of like special provisions, you know, it's like I usually write in there that I'm buying the house as is, so they know that's in the contract. Uh-huh. Um, I'll try to get the appliances if I can, you know, if they're willing to to sell them and I'll put that, that, you know, that those are to remain and things like that. And then we both sign and it's got to have language in there. You know, time is of the essence, um, that there's no verbal agreements that the written contract is all that there is. Okay. Do you have like an inspection period in there or anything like that? I do not. Okay. No, I, I don't. Uh, in the beginning I would write in escape clauses like, you know, further to subject to, uh, further to. I'm sorry, subject to further inspection of uh-huh. the property or uh-huh. subject to, you know, approval by partner. Yeah. You know, or something. But, but are you even giving a deposit? I mean, I do the earnest money. I, the earnest money, typically, I used to always do $10, but, you know, I'm, I'm not as cheap anymore. I guess I do $25, <laughs> which is still pretty okay. cheap. Okay. So you're on up there, aren't you? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm, you know, big time now. I'm paying $25. No, but that's a good point. Time. I mean, you know, what's the point of doing an inspection escape clause, as you say? I mean, you have five bucks on the line. Later on, I mean, I'm just talking about for people who are new. I mean, obviously, you don't want to intentionally put something under contract that you don't plan on closing. But let's say that you do go and lock something up and you say, hey, I'm going to tomorrow, I'm going to come with my contractor, check some things out. And he realizes, wow, you're like $50,000 off. I mean, I just want people to understand they're not going to lose $50,000 if they haven't closed on the property yet. I mean, they have a, they and, can, and most sellers will understand. I mean, you know, hopefully you won't do that if somebody's facing foreclosure and they've only got yes, two weeks no, before that hits. No. But you know, and most of the time we do not buy from people facing foreclosure. 
So, that, you know, I think a lot of people think that they market to motivated sellers. It's going to be all these people facing foreclosure. Yeah. In my case, that hardly ever is. That's not your focus. It's yeah. mostly people that have inherited a property or got a property in some way where they never made payments on it for years. But the most people, I mean, if you like a situation like you just described where the contractor comes in and says, hey, man, this is going to be way more than you thought to fix this place up. You know, and you go back to the seller and say, look, I'm sorry, but I, you know, I, I misjudged what the repairs were going to cost here. And just be honest with them. Tell them I made a mistake. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, but if I'm going to do this still, I'm going to have to get it for this much. Yeah. And if you have to go lower and say them, say I'm sorry, yeah, but I, it's not going to work. Honest conversation. Try to be as genuine and real as you can all the time. But then, you know, things happen and, and that's... Right. There, so. There's never reason to lie about anything no. either. I mean, there's never... You know, there's no reason to try to like hide a mistake either. You know, if you made a mistake, own up to it, you know, tell them. And I, I think they're going to appreciate that instead of you trying to come up with some other lame excuse yeah. that they're probably going to see through anyway. Okay. So, okay, let's move right along here. There's good stuff. So you leave them with a, an offer and then do you follow up with them or you just wait for them to call you? Or right. If, how if does that they work? don't accept the offer, then I will follow up. I'll, I'll wait depending on what the situation is, you know, regarding if they, they're waiting for other people to come by and make them offers or whatever. I wait a certain, you know, like a day or two and call them back and say, you know, have you given more thought to my offer? And then try to set up reminders for every maybe week after that or something like that, just to always stay in touch with them until... You know, they've either sold it or they tell you to stop calling. Yeah, so, until they get upset. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, but always stay there because you never know. They might not really like your offer right away, but then something could happen to them like a, a two weeks later or a month later where they're, you know, even more in a position where they just have to get rid of the thing. And it's like, you're the one that called them back and reminded them. And they said, oh, yeah, you know what? Yep. You know, this must be, you know, what God wants because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're calling me and I was just thinking about this again last night. And, you know, I just, you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Time and, and time and circumstance can change any situation. So, right. So even if they, if you don't think that there's any, and, and this is, I think what a lot of people struggle with too, is when you go in making these low offers, sometimes you're just thinking who in their right mind would ever accept this, mm -hmm. but you got to think that they're not you. Yeah. You know, no one else is you. You think that, but they they might not necessarily think that. You can never go into this with thinking that, thinking, oh my God, you know, I can't, you know, I'll make this low offer and they're going to yell at me and tell me to get out of their house. Well, it's probably yeah. not going to happen. Yep. I'm, I'm not a car person. And so I would rather go sell my car to somewhere like CarMax, sell it for less than to try to find, you know, get it fixed up all shiny and clean and find that retail perfect buyer, you know, for, but that's cars for me. For houses, it's different. So right. everyone's different. Um, okay. So you got the house. Okay. You, you keep following up and then they say, okay, I'll take your offer. Do you go back to the house and then put it under contract at that moment? Or do you send it right. in the mail? No, no. I always go in person. You always go in person. Even if, even if you've right. always already been there, you cruise right. on yeah, over. Yeah, I'll go back and, and get it, you know, fill out the contract with them. Now, what kind and of, what's your farm area? Like how far, what's like the furthest these houses are compared to where you live? Well, I do really the whole city. So, you know, some of them are, you know, are, are maybe... I used to be central, which made it a little bit easier, but we've moved several times since then and, and we're further out now. But, Expanded. you know, I, I still will do houses that are 45 minute drive okay. across the city, just if it's a good enough deal. That's about your radius is within 45 minutes. Right. And obviously if it's a wholesale, I don't really care, you know, how, okay. you know, but I, I don't like to go anywhere like over, you know, an hour or something just even to have to look at the house. Now, you said if it's a wholesale, you don't. Let's talk about that. Why would you not care? Because you're not going to look at it? Or how are you going about because this? Because most likely, I'm only going there once. And that's to get a contract okay. on it. Hopefully, put a lockbox on it. And then that's it. 
Okay, so let's dive into wholesaling then. So you got this house under contract. How are you gonna go about selling this house? How are you gonna go about wholesaling this house? Okay, so if the house was vacant, then when I'm getting the contract and I intend on wholesaling it, I'll say, look, I wanna have contractors come through and be prepared for when this thing closes. Can I put a lockbox on the front door and put a key in it so that I don't have to bug you guys every time we need to come over here and bring contracts? And most of the time people will be okay with it, you know, and a lot of times the house is already run down and there's nothing in them, so they don't really care. And so I'll have the lockbox and I'll be able to start contacting my key buyers and telling them one at a time. And I guess what I should get into is, you know, in the beginning, you don't really have this VIP buyer list. Maybe you need to find some, some cash buyers and, you know, there's two schools of thought. One is to have the biggest buyers list you can. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other one of having the highest quality list. And that's the one I kind of Absolutely. preach is okay. having a higher quality is much better than having a huge list of a bunch of people that waste your time. I agree 100%. And so you need to focus on it. It gets it back into the, the 80-20 rule when you're looking for buyers even. it's You, you want to sit down and think, how can I find the serious buyers? I don't want to find the guys that are scanning Craigslist that have never done a deal calling me asking, uh, you know, if the roof needs to be replaced. Yeah. You know, you want to find the people that are already doing deals in the areas that you're targeting. So that's a part of driving around, hitting the streets, looking for houses already being rehabbed, talking to realtors and saying, you know, can I get a list of the people that have or the houses that were bought from banks for cash over the last six or nine months in this area? And they can give you those lists. They can find out what addresses were, were sold, and then you can go and do some research at the deed records or whatever to find out who bought those. Okay. And then you just send a letter to them, or if you're lucky enough to find a phone number, call them up and say, look, you want more houses like that. And uh, then you know they've already proven that they're buyers because they've bought houses sure. already. And okay. a lot of times you'll get those lists of addresses and start doing research and finding out that, hey, this one company or this one person bought five houses over here in the last four months. And then, you know, you start to put those people higher on your list. And once you get in contact with those people, maybe you take them to lunch just to talk to them. And you'll find out who you like maybe more than, than other people you feel more comfortable with. You feel like you can trust somebody a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And you know that they're cash buyers. And, uh, and then you'll call them first. Instead of sending out an email when you've, you've got a house under contract, you'll call them and say, look, I got this deal. Do you want it? You know, please tell me within the next five hours. Yeah. Okay. You know, and then you don't buy, you don't call anybody else. You don't do anything until they've said yes or no. Yeah. And I like that because I do not like it. If a wholesaler calls me and he's calling other people too, and I spend several hours doing due diligence and then they sell to someone else, I will never work with them again. (laughs) Right. And I get emails all the time from people pushing deals and I just delete, delete, delete because there's other people, you know, there's, they've got everybody else looking at that place and I don't have the time to go out and compete with those guys. I'd rather find my own deals without the competition. It's a, yeah, it's a waste of time. But if I had, you know, when I have wholesalers that do call me first, you know, it's, I'm going out and looking at it because I know there's no other competition. Exactly. It's more of, it's more of a high priority on your list. You know, they're making it a priority for you you make it a priority of them. So yeah, I agree with that school of thought for sure. Okay. So then you have your list and you have your VIP people like that, that you call to send out there one at a time. Hopefully the first one will take it. Sometimes you won't. Now you have to call the second one. Sometimes they won't, he or she won't. And sometimes you call the third one and and on and on. And if none of the people on your serious buyers list, then you start doing the things where you're marketing the place. You're putting out bandit signs, you know, house in area, 50% of market value, call me and stuff like that. You know, doing a little bit more to market the place and trying to find a buyer for it. Typically with mine, I know how to price them to where it's still a good deal for the investor. And that's very important too. When you're calling these 
serious buyers, you can't call and, and try to get, you know, super high amount for that property. It doesn't make sense to them because they're not going to take you seriously after that. Yeah. If you get a good enough deal and you offer it to them as good enough deal for what they want, and there's no shame in even asking them for a house like this, what would you want to pay? Mm-hmm. And then you find out for sure exactly what they would want to pay. So obviously it's fair for them. Uh, and that could be done before you even make the offer to the homeowner so that you can calculate what you need to okay. to get it for. Great tip. And I typically, at the point I am, am only calling most of the time the first person will buy it. Sometimes it's the second person. For sure. But that's you, just where I'm at. Yeah, you know your buyers, you know who they are. I've got three to four wholesalers who, when they call, I know there's money on the other end. I know I'm going to buy a house from them because they know what I'm looking to buy. We've worked together enough and... They can just call and tell me. I don't even have to look at the house because I know. I mean, we do, but we just know right. that, that it's going to be And then you deal. know they're going to close so. on it. You know it's a sealed deal. So it's like basically at that point, when you get the house under contract, you already kind of know it's a done deal. Like you're moving on to finding the next one because you know one of your buyers is going to take it. For sure. Absolutely. You, you know, you build to that point. It's not really hard to build up to that point no. either. If you're getting good enough deals, you know, if you're offering low enough, it's really not hard to get to the point where people are begging you to send them the leads. For sure. I mean, if you get, if you're in uh, San Antonio area, I'm sure you can call Danny. I mean, done, right? Right. <laughs> Taken care <Yeah>. of. <laughs> and same with me in uh, Southern California. So you just got to find, it really only takes one to two people. Now, do you find people, buyers at uh, real estate investment clubs or? No, I, I don't. The majority I found of people at the clubs are, are new people and there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. And that's a good place for people to go to meet some of the series because there are some serious investors, but I, I haven't been okay there in a long time. I like doing research, you know, the county deed records, stuff like that. And through MLS, finding serious buyers. Okay, very good. You know, that's, that are yeah, showing like that, that they've bought lots of houses. Different. I like the tip you gave on driving around and finding people who are doing rehabs because you'll find yeah. somebody. So, uh, okay, so how about, um, how, does, how does that transaction take place? So you found your buyer. Okay, so you I found the buyer and then I, I we've agreed on a price. I've told them a price. And what I'll need to do is assign my contract. So I have a contract to buy the house from the seller, from the homeowner. Now I need to assign that contract to my buyer. So it's a contract assignment. And what happens then is then they're responsible for everything that was agreed to on the contract. They become the new buyer. Now, is that a document, the uh, assignment? Right. That's an assignment of contract document. It's a simple contract that just says that you're signing the contract, says the contract for this address of this date between me and the seller is now being assigned to the buyer for this amount. And then you have the amount that you're assigning it for. So if you had the house in a contract for $50,000 between you and the seller and the homeowner of the house, and then you're assigning the contract to your buyer for 60,000, you know, so then the contract would say that you're signing it for $10,000. Perfect. And then on the HUD statement, which is the settlement statement when the deal closes, you don't have to be at the closing because you've assigned your contract. Your buyer is the one that's at closing with the homeowner and they don't have to be there at the same time either. I never sign when sellers sign. I'm always there at a different time. Mm-hmm. They're signing by themselves. I'm signing by myself. So you don't have to worry about, you know, the, the homeowner and then your buyer being there and they're like, well, who's, this someone guy? Else. who's this guy? Okay. So do you ask them for a deposit, your buyer? Yes, I do. And typically if it's, it's somebody new I haven't used before, I want a, a non-refundable earnest money deposit and I'll try to get $2,000. Uh, if it's a great deal, otherwise it's a thousand dollars. Okay. And that's written in the assignment contract that you know you're getting money from them. That's non-refundable. If they don't close on it, because you got to have they've got to have skin in the game. If yeah, you don't, I agree. 
completely. If they don't have any skin in the game, it's so much easier for them to say, oh, yeah, I'll take it. And then later on, they're saying, oh, wait a minute. I don't know. They're getting cold feet. Or they're out of capital or they found something else that's a little better or whatever. And they, they'll walk away from it. And then you're stuck. You're stuck. You know, looking bad because the place didn't close. Okay. So I do get the, and then if I, it's people that I've worked with a lot before, typically I, you know, just a thousand bucks because I know they're yeah, going to close. Sure. And who does that money want... go to? Does that go to you or does that go to like the title company? Some or... wholesalers will try to get that going to them personally because it's non-refundable anyway. Okay. So let's see, you have your deposit, they have their deposit in. Um, how do you end up getting paid? Do you get paid once they close? Do they pay you? Do you get paid through title? How does that go down? Right. Once the transaction closes, the title company will pay me. I can either go pick up a check there or have them wire it to me. And it's actually on the closing documents on the HUD statement that breaks down where all the money's going. Okay. We'll actually have a line in their assignment fee to, you know, whatever company name or personal name. Perfect. I have on the rest. So what do you typically make or what should someone expect to make on an average wholesale uh, fee or an assignment fee? I always try to shoot for a bare minimum of, of five thousand, and I, I generally try to get more than ten. Okay, so there's uh, a range, obviously. Right. I mean, obviously, I'll try to get as much as I can with keeping it still as a nice deal for my buyers. Okay. And right. uh, you know, routinely get you know more than ten. Awesome. Um, so you maybe make ten on average, uh, eight to ten on average. What do you think it costs you to make that? as far as marketing goes, or I know it's kind of a vague question, but I'm just trying to figure out the return on someone's investment. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's not gonna be hard scientific, you know, fact or anything, but you know, if I were to give an educated guess though, I would say, you know, especially when I'm doing lots of different types of marketing, I would say anywhere between, you know, five to $800. Okay, great. I'm just trying to give, you know, the folks an idea of realizing, hey, you know, get out there, do some marketing. It's it's going to pay right. off eventually. I would yeah, say. I said five to 800, 500 to 800. So it's not that big range, $5 to. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. To, I, you know, I, I, knew it, I knew exactly. What but so, meant. yeah, I mean, if you're spending and you say, wow, I've spent 300 bucks. Well, you know, guess what? That's, it's, I mean, depending on what you do, it might take a little bit. I mean, you can, obviously people can spend you know, $200 and get a bunch of bandit science and get a deal that makes them $20,000. For sure. I mean, if you just average things out over the long run and you're doing a bunch of different things, you know, I think it probably gets into, I'd like to hear other investors though, what, what they have to say as far as. I heard, as, uh, mm -hmm. I talked to a marketing guy recently who said, whenever you're doing marketing, you should, for whatever amount you put in your marketing, your goal should be to make seven to 10 times that amount of money. So that's pretty much right on with the, uh, the amount that you told me is pretty okay. much right on with that. So, <laughs> all right, yeah. No, I mean, obviously, all it's best to keep track of of that when you're doing a bunch of you know marketing, keeping track of what your cost per lead is and then your cost per deal is, uh -huh. so that you can adjust. Because there have been times over over the years where I've looked at something, and on the face of it, it seemed like it was decent because I was getting you know some calls on it, and um, you know, but whenever I looked at it, it was like the cost of it was like two thousand dollars per lead or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not per lead, but per deal. Whereas per other deal. things I was getting, you know, the 700 or 800. It's like, well, you know, if I just put all that money into these things, I'm better off. Exactly. So always testing things out and figuring out where where your time is best used and, and your marketing dollars. Right. Or improve that thing to try to make it better, you know. So Absolutely. So make your we, we talked about assigning the contract. Are there any situations where that does not work, where you can't just assign a contract? 
Right. There's several different cases. Sometimes you have an issue with with not having access to the house. The people still live in there, and uh, you know they're not going to be vacating until right before they close on it. So you can't be. You know, it's more difficult to get buyers in there. You can still get buyers in uh, by you know just telling the people, look, I'm going to be bringing people by to take a look at the house and everything for getting estimates for repairs and stuff like that. You know, just having. And then you'll have to schedule. So you really want your serious people to have some serious people because you can't just take people over there every day because it, it's just not going to look good and it's going to be very difficult to do. So in those cases, uh, you know, the best thing to do is to try to get somebody that's very serious and have a ton of pictures and or video of the place. Okay. And so that they can see all of that and then say, look, you know, I'm going to have you've got to be very serious about this because I can't be showing this place to a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Once you've looked at everything and you fit, because they should be able to figure out the repairs and know pretty sure. well based yeah. on all no, what that. we buy houses all the time that we don't see the inside of. And right. And so then you ha- handle it that way where the people will look at all that. And once they're very serious, then you take them over a schedule to have them look at the place if they need to. Okay. So I'm and, then, I'm, and then you can assign it. But if you can't do that, then you might need to close on the house. Okay. Okay. So, you know, if you go into it and say, okay, this is going to be very difficult and I don't really have that many strong buyers, I'm, I might end up having to close on this. And you can do a double closing where you still don't need the money to close on it. And that's where you basically, you know, you find another buyer. Well, actually, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's another case of where well, double close is typically used when you are making so much that you think the buyer is going to, your buyer, your investor buyer is going to be like, wow, this guy's making 30,000 bucks. You know, All I'm right. paying too much. Okay. You know, even if that's not the case, and that happens sometimes, and I don't like buyers that do that. It's like it yeah, shouldn't matter fine. when yeah, I make it. But if you don't, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But so if you don't want to have them freak out about that, you know, because some people will, then you can do a double close. So then you get the contract with your seller, like before the homeowner, right. to buy the house, say for fifty thousand, and then you're going to sell it for eighty to your end buyer. So you don't want them to see that thirty thousand that you're making. What you'll do is just contract as if you're the seller of the house to the buyer with the same contract you were using when you signed with the seller. So then you have two contracts. You have one where you're buying it and one where you're selling it. So you're the buyer on the first contract and then you're the seller on the second one. And what happens is you want to make sure the title company will handle that first of all, because some of them won't do it. Okay. So find the right title company, make sure they do right title company say we do double closings where the funds from the B transaction where you're selling it will pass through to fund the purchase of it. Okay. That's how the title company handles that. They'll take the money from your end buyer and use that to let you buy the house, okay. you know, and so you can ha- handle it that way so that you can keep the, and I've, I've had some buyers freak out sometimes some of the, the amounts that I was making, even when it was only like 15. That's, that's, that's interesting to me. My goal is to have my wholesaler make as much money as possible. I want them to be happy so they keep selling me houses. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, I don't understand the logic of it. I, I guess, uh, you know, it's just, you know, one of those things. I mean, it's like you already told me that number was what fit for you. So just it doesn't the matter. Great plans get to them. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if, but if you're going to, if you have a situation where it's going to be very hard to find somebody and you might have to close on it, um, you know, then you're going to need some kind of funding to close on it from a hard money lender or something like that. But you, you, you only want to really do that if it's a case where you know it's a really good deal. And in my opinion, and I think I've heard you say this as well, if you can't find anybody and you've asked several true rehabbers that rehab a lot of houses, your deal might be too tight. You might not, you might even need to reanalyze yeah, you might, it. You might want to go back and either try to renegotiate your deal to get it lower so you can offer it lower or, or just, you know, I hate to you know, I don't even like to tell people to do it, to walk away from the deal if you have to. Yeah, but... You know, I don't walk away from deals, but I make sure I get them cheap enough to where I won't have to. For sure, for sure. So, uh, okay, I'm. Oh, so, okay, well, I guess 
what I wanted. I'm glad we kind of went off into that other area, but I was wondering about what if the house is like an REO or a short sell? I know you can't, I mean, you can't assign a contract. Most contracts are assignable. Correct me if I'm wrong. Contracts are assignable unless they say they're not, correct? Yeah, and you know, I've heard that and then I've heard other people argue that point. Okay. And, you know, if it says that in the contract, obviously scratch it out and then put in and or assigns. Okay. You know, scratch out the part that says that you can't be assigned. Okay. If you're going to want to assign it. Okay. And then uh, if it doesn't have it in there, I would put it no matter what, you know, even if it doesn't have in there, just to be 100% sure so that both camps, the people that say, well, it needs to say it or it doesn't matter, you might as well just have it in there. It doesn't affect anything. And I've never had a seller ever question the and or assigns. Okay. Okay. On there. So that's, I think that's a, a thing to do. Okay. Sounds good. Wow. Well, uh, we covered a lot. Um, is there anything else you feel like we missed as far as wholesaling goes? No, no, I, I don't. Uh, you know, the name, like we said, the name of the game is getting the leads, making the offers and getting good enough deals that you can pass on and have people begging you to bring them more deals. So then your job is really just finding deals because if you're getting deals and you're having struggling all the time to find buyers, then you're just not getting a good enough deal or you're offering it for too much and trying to make too much. Absolutely. So for people at home, um, you know, if there's one thing you're going to focus on, figure out how to be uh, a deal buying or deal getting a deal under contract uh, machine, right? <laughs> I didn't really right. word that very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand what you were saying though. Um, but, uh, yeah, cool. And you can basically create your business just out of that one skill alone. Right. So, um, awesome. Well, Danny, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've given us some incredibly valuable action packed content here. What is the way that, you know, I know actually I know you recently came out with a, a course, correct? Right. I've got an online training course for wholesaling that covers everything from the foundation all the way through and all the different things that go into how we wholesale from marketing to getting the deals under contract to finding buyers and, and just basically everything. Awesome. That's like a six, I think you said every week. You, six modules, right? Six it's, modules it's every week. When you sign up, uh, the first week is the foundation course. And then every week after that, another module is released for you. And the whole thing, it was set up just basically f to get people to take action. So it's not just another thing where you're going to read through it and say, okay, what can I learn now? Very cool. It's to take, you know, you learn the first week and then you go out there and do something and I give you some things to do. Awesome. But that there, there's a link to that on the resources page of flippingjunkie.com uh, on my blog. There's a, Very cool. a link to it. So you can find Danny at flippingjunkie.com. He's got tons of content on his information. If you're interested in, uh, you know, learning more about the program he has, check that out. And everyone knows I'm a big advocate of, uh, I'm like anti the big time guru information marketer people that are, you know, doing nothing in the business, selling stuff for 20 grand. And then they get you in a room where they sell you a bunch of other garbage. Um, but something like what Danny has here, it's very uh, affordable. He's the real deal doing the stuff. So I'm not getting paid anything for this. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, that is something out there if you're looking for some more. Uh, yeah. And I appreciate that. And stuff. I think, you know, I, I agree with Justin and I think that, you know, we give so much information like we, we don't just say you know flip houses you'll make a ton of money but we won't tell you anything about how to do it unless you buy our course or you go to the seminar and stuff i mean we freely always give 
more information that's found in most courses just freely on our websites. And so I and think Danny, you kind of made me laugh when we were talking about why you were doing this course. And uh, you're like, well, I've been, you know, giving away all this stuff for free. And my, you know, this might make my wife feel like it's finally worth it. So <laughs> <laughs> so it's more of, almost more of a hobby. Of, I, I spent a lot of time on that. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes the, the business, you know, I, I don't tend to the business as much as I should just check it on the rehabs instead. I'm sure. typing away on a computer trying to help people figure out what they should do if exactly. they can't find a home. So it's kind of, you know, Danny's way of keeping a flipping junkie going, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Danny, once again, thank you so much. So people can hook up with Danny at flippingjunkie.com. Uh, how about Facebook? Anywhere else people can follow you or find you, Danny? You can find uh, Flipping Junkie on Facebook and then also on Twitter. And uh, it's Danny J.S.A. Uh, Danny J.S.A. on Twitter. I like that. J.S.A. <laughs> yeah, cool. I did. Danny Johnson. <laughs> so go ahead and uh, find Danny. Hit us up on this episode. Ask any questions you have in the comments section. I'm sure Danny would be happy to answer those as well. Um, I'll send them over when I get them. And thank you so much, Danny. You have a great rest of your week and uh, keep flipping those houses, my friend. Yeah, thanks a lot, Justin. I appreciate you having me on the on the show. All right, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. All right. Well, thank you again, Danny, for that incredible interview. I actually just sent Danny an email this morning and asked him if he would be willing to go ahead and do some guest posts for us on some upcoming blogs. And he has agreed to that. So we'll be looking forward to hearing more from him on the Housing HQ website. Also on last week's episode, I mentioned six different forms or resources that we currently use to help us run our housing business. And I offered to go ahead and give those to you for free. You can Get those at housewhippinghq.com slash forms. That's lowercase F-O-R-M-S. Last of all, if you like what you're hearing here on the House Whipping HQ podcast, please give us a honest rating and review. You can go to housewhippinghq.com slash podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a rating and review. And if you email me the username that you used or the name you used for your iTunes review, we would love to send you a 90-minute presentation that I gave at the SDIC Investment Club on how I run my housing business. It's a link to the video and would love to send that to you. Well, that's about it. It's Thanksgiving week. Hope you guys all have a fantastic Thanksgiving if you're listening to this before or during Thanksgiving weekend. Eat some turkey. I know I'm going to go play in the turkey bowl. Really looking forward to that. Just like old times. My kids are finally getting old enough to where they can play too. So that should be a lot of fun. I was going to tell you, get out there, make some offers, make it happen. But you know what? Take some time this weekend and really reflect on what's most important to you and the things that you love and spend time with your family and friends and just being appreciative of, of everything that you have in your life. And we'll We'll get back to harping on you next week about getting those offers out and taking that massive action. Of course, if you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, you know, get going. No excuses. All right. And with that, we will see you next week on the House Flipping HQ podcast. Until then. Happy Thanksgiving. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts 
at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.